Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Veterans are who we are, what we talk about, who we fight for. This podcast sheds light on real issues facing our veterans. It informs the uninformed. It celebrates their triumphs and provides hope to those fighting a silent battle. This is Upholding Valor. Welcome. I'm Jill Atwood, Director of Communications for the VA Rocky Mountain Region and your host for Upholding Valor. Our topic today is a somber one, but one we have to keep talking about. It is suicide prevention. September is Suicide Prevention Month, but come on, within VA, it's a 24-7, 365 days a year topic for us. Uh, We lose too many veterans on a daily basis, 17 a day, which is actually down from 22 a day, so we are making progress but let me put it into context for you. A veteran is one and a half times more likely to commit suicide than the general public. And women veterans are two and a half times more likely to commit suicide. Is that correct, Michael? That's Am I correct. getting that yeah. right? Okay. Um, and it's up to all of us really to wrap our arms around this, talk about it, keep tabs on the veterans in our lives. I mean, here at VA, that's that's all we talk about and focus on, and it's it's a big part of our mission. But we need it to stretch beyond VA. We need everyone to be aware. We need our community to help out, and it's up to everyone to watch out for a veteran. Um, I'm going to introduce my guests now and and really get into this topic. Joining me now is Michael Tregakis. He's our suicide prevention coordinator. And we also have Kimberly Anderlin here, and Kimberly is a Army combat medic. Uh, she was an Army combat medic. She served from 2001 to 2005, and in 03, she served during the Iraq War, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And Kimberly, you were telling me before we started that you believe you were the first combat medic unit in country. Is that correct? Yeah, I think we were the first medical unit in Iraq when the war started in 2003. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you both for for being here. I appreciate it, Michael. Michael and I go way back. We've worked together for a long time. Kimberly, I want to start with you. Um, That's a heavy MOS, a combat medic. I've I've known many... a friend of mine is married to one. Um, typically, they really struggle when they when they get home from from what you've seen and and, and the stress and 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 what you did in the line of duty. Um, can you talk about what your role was during the Iraq War and 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 how that experience was for you? Obviously, what you're comfortable with. Yeah, I'd love to share a little bit of my experience. Um, we treated. 
everyone. It didn't matter prisoner of war, Iraqi civilian, children, um, all members from different types of services and all different types of illnesses or injuries. And it was a very unique thing to be doing at 20 years old. Right. Surreal, I bet. Yeah, a little bit surreal. Um, and it was mixed with beautiful sunrises and sunsets and then the horrors of war and times of deep connection mixed with times of deep, deep sorrow and confusion and not understanding the reasons why or the bigger picture. And so it created a quite the internal moral conflict to deal with when you know I returned from the situation and came back to the states but at the same time while you were there you just keep going yeah and you have to you know like I think it for me it didn't matter who you were I just tried to give you the best care that I could in my heart so you mentioned when you came home that things became difficult. Try try to explain that because I know it's different for for every veteran. What does that look like when you you notice that you're not quite right, or or folks tell you that you're different? Um, what do you remember about coming home and how you felt? Well, I got out of the military um, shortly after I got back from Iraq um, in 2005. And I was married and pregnant, and as I was in processing to the VA, um, they sent me to see probably a psychologist, and I remember them asking me questions and different things and saying, ooh, I think you have PTSD, and I was like devastated and in denial, like, no, I can't be broken, there can't be something wrong with me, and probably lived in denial for a little bit of time, and then kind of noticing... After I gave birth to my first baby, um, what it was like when I was sleep deprived and having nightmares, memories, flashbacks, whenever the police helicopters would fly around Mesa, Arizona, you know, something would happen in my body. And I'm like, why am I feeling this way? You know, my body's probably preparing for a mass cow to come through the door. Sure. But, you know, here I am at home and I'm supposed to be safe and loving my child and enjoying life. Why, you know, is this hard? And one time, um, uh, my husband at the time tossed me one of those green wool army blankets. And as I caught it... I started to hallucinate and it was covered with blood Ugh. and I was just so you know like scared and terrified like why is this happening to me you know when all of these great and wonderful things are happening in in my life and so I probably there was a lot of shame and stigma around it at the time and so I was told like oh if you if you get help for this then um I don't know, things like you'll never be able to own a gun or, you know, I, there was just this fear and this stigma of like, I can't be broken and, and dear God, don't let me be psychologically broken because, you know, there was just so much shame. So f I want to say for a while, I didn't get help. You tried to deal with it yourself. What was the, the, the straw that made you say, I... I need to address this. Um, I need to come forward. 
it makes me so angry about the broken part and, mm-hmm. and the stigma attached mm-hmm. to it. And we'll talk about that more. Um, but what, what made you decide finally? Uh, well, I went through a divorce and, um, it was, uh, having PTSD or being diagnosed with PTSD was kind of, uh, it was attempted to use against me to say that I was an unfit parent or I was incapable of caring for my children or, you know, like, and I want to say probably in the beginning, it was my children and my love for them. And, you know, to say, yeah, I am hurting. I feel like I'm breaking. And so when, um, after my divorce, I got, um, I was in Arizona at the time and I got plugged in with the mental health department and found a really great psychiatrist. At the time, they didn't have um, specific programs for women. And so the social worker who was running a PTSD group talked to all of the men and they had to get permission to allow a woman into their group. And so the people in the group uh, gave permission and allowed me into this space and Um, the VA in Phoenix did have like a women's MST support group in Phoenix, but that was like quite a drive for me at the time. And so I found a lot of connection among these brothers who were also struggling with the same things that I had struggled with, with the nightmares, the anger, the hurt, the betrayal, the sadness, and you know, we really kind of, kind of came together. And I'd say that the connections that I formed with those men were so valuable. I'm still in contact with several of them, but you know, you talk about suicide and of the members of the group, I believe that there are only four of us that are still alive that who haven't lost our lives to, to suicide. Oh my goodness. Hold that thought. Okay. Michael. So Kimberly's story sounds so familiar. Why is it that these veterans feel that shame when they come home uh, with the PTSD and the, and the, 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 the things just not being right and, you know, losing their families? Why, why do they feel the shame of, of they have to be stronger mm-hmm. than that? And how do we get through to them that there is help and there is no shame, especially since what you've been through and all that you've done for your country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, sadly, this is a very common pattern that we see. Um, I think it starts in the military uh, because uh, you're getting trained to um, to be strong, to be a fighter, medic, what have you. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a stigma in the military of getting support. Uh, a lot of folks get trained not to go to the, the mental health bay. Uh, Holy moly, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, in terms of your ability to get promoted, in terms of your ability to move forward in the military, there's definitely written and unwritten messages about not, not asking for help. Um, you have to have that mental toughness mental and it toughness. needs to be documented. Y- yep, yep, yes. Yeah. And then it, it, again, if you want to move in or you want to be able to meet out your, your contract. Um, so then the, the next big challenge though is, is a jarring disconnect between military life and civilian life. Uh, military life, you've got that mission, you have the sisterhood, you the brotherhood, mm-hmm. you have a team. Um, 
and everything's planned for you. You've got, you know, your, your, your day is planned, your, your leave is intentionally unplanned, but um, then you sort of are plunked. I mean, Kimberly, your experience of soon after Iraq going home, you know, being discharged, that sounds even more jarring than I've heard in terms of, you know, now you're in a civilian, there's no guidance, uh, there's no support, there's no mission, there's no sisterhood, there's and no brotherhood. You're, and you're pregnant and about to be a first-time mom. Right. Holy smokes. Right. And so um, th- there's there's a safety net that just completely crashes down. And then the other thing I'm really hearing, Kimberly, which sadly is very common, is it's like, you know, the veteran's mind is betraying them. Like they they are having symptoms that they know was not how I was functioning before. Um, and you got a lot of folks who learned it, like in the military, like just pick yourself up by your mm-hmm. bootstraps, just go, you mm-hmm. know, keep going. You, you got this. And yet, again, like you notice, Kimberly, like uh, I can't do it. I can't do it the way I used to. I'm having these symptoms that are, you know, off the wall. Um, that disconnect really leads to a lot of additional shame, withdrawal, not not seeking help. I mean, it, people go in the opposite direction uh, of You VA. almost have to, at, at times we people are to the point where they've completely unraveled absolutely before we before we and, see them. and isolated too so yes. i mean that's the other piece i mean people are really distanced from any support never mind va from family sure. from community well also too it's not like there's a training or a class or anything like that to teach you how to grieve there's no class you take in high school you know like Grief happens throughout your life, but it's not like people tell you how to grieve huge moral losses or to to witness. So I think, and and grief looks different for every person. Sure. And so how that manifests and how people deal with it, either by seeking love and support from community or finding it at the bottom of a a bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, people are Addiction. looking for the relief. Mm-hmm from the suffering and from the internal suffering that they're feeling. Well, and you had mentioned that you went to this group and you developed these connections and a lot of that group is now gone. I'm assuming you meant loss to suicide. Yeah, there was a lot of loss to suicide. And um, I also have a cousin and her husband was a combat veteran and he also recently um, lost his life to suicide and just... The devastation has, is, it hits me hard, and yet I also know that I have felt that desperate to make the suffering stop or to feel something other than I'm feeling. And So you were there, you were at that point. Yeah, I have felt completely and utterly hopeless like nothing would ever get better and um, I had one provider who who talked about you know Kimberly it's kind of like a wave it can't stay like this forever and as you'll notice the people listening may not you know see but I have a ring that I wear around my pinky finger that is waves and that reminds me to ride the waves of the sensations that I feel and to to know that it can't always be as bad as I feel right now because when you feel desperate you want anything other than to feel what you are feeling and you will do whatever it takes to make it stop and sometimes you know that leads to to suicide but what they don't tell you 
is if you hold on and if you just wait, your body cannot sustain whatever <laughs> chemicals it is pumping through your body. Like, yeah. it can't last well, forever. Well, and, But in and, the moment... And, and support is available then. If you can put some support there, some, you know, some relief, that'll also help. You yeah. Know I mean? Well, and you have two beautiful boys uh, to take care of that are 15 and 13. I do. And they are quite wonderful. <laughs> they have brought so much joy to my life. And uh, you need to keep fighting for them. So what's your, like, how do you take care of you now? So are the waves less intense and, and, you know, Yeah, I had to learn. Yeah, Yeah. you've done a bunch of work, Kimberly. (laughs) Maybe you could could kind of share a little bit of your recovery story. Let's talk about that because you say she's been through an awful lot, more than we're even talking about. She's quite the survivor. Right, quite the survivor and quite the the recoverer. Sure. You've done a lot of work, and it might be nice to give folks a snapshot of what you've done, the different types of... Yeah, so I've tried um, various treatments. And I mean, I've sat in the woods, you know, or in the sweat lodge with the spinning crystals, and I've done evidence-based treatments. I have tried working out. I've tried diet. I've tried a number of different things. But I'll tell you the thing that helped the most was participating in the DBT program here at the VA for dialectical behavioral therapy. And to learn different skills of how to manage the feelings that I was feeling and and the sensations and the thoughts that were coming into my mind and into my body. And as a part of the program, they really teach you, like, this is what you can do. And then, then we would practice this is what to do when you're having really intense things happen. And then in one part of the program, it would be like, I had my therapist's uh, cell phone number, and it could be two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock at night, doesn't really matter. I could call or send a text and say, this is what I'm struggling with. These are the skills that I have tried. And they would say, okay. And they'd call me back within 15, 20 minutes. We talk about it, say, okay, this is what you've tried. This is what I want you to try now we'll check back in in 20 minutes. And so I could call back and say, okay, I tried this and guess what? Thank you. That worked. Or (laughs) nope, it sure didn't. I need some more help right now. And they would say, Hey, this is what you can try. And then the practice and the repetition over and over and over, plus doing the program with a community of other people was helpful because then I could hear their feedback and what was working for them. And then it's like, Oh, maybe I can try this. Maybe I can try that. So learning mindfulness skills and learning how to be present in my body and to not judge negatively the sensations that I was feeling. Because I think there's a lot of shame surrounding. We're our own worst critics. We just tear ourselves apart. Yeah, but to have that, that support network and to have other folks tell you like what you're going through uh, makes sense in many ways. What you're going through is something that I'm going through. That makes all the difference to have a network of people that support you, understand mm-hmm. you, uh, regardless of the treatment. Yeah, and the connections that I've formed with other veterans have been really meaningful. A lot of the times I look at them and I think, oh, dear God, I am so sorry that you have lived what I've lived. But thank you so much for helping me feel like I'm not alone. Yeah. 
Um, I think a reoccurring theme, at least since I've worked with VA and speaking with veterans, um, experiencing the same kind of trauma and pain that you've experienced after combat, is you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. You just do. Can you talk about that a little bit, Michael, and how, um, you know, rewind 15 years for for (laughs) Kimberly? Yeah. 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 How you take that first step? It, it, it's it's a real challenge because it's terrifying. I, I can't use another word. It's terrifying to get started in this type of work because you really are confronting something. You're confronting, you know, I'm not functioning the way I used to. Uh, my brain isn't working the way it used to. Uh, I'm not the person I used to. We, we, mm-hmm. we create a lot of, you know, constructions, a lot of, of who we are. Um, so I think the main piece is like Kimberly saying is it's really important to be around people that get you. Um, so here at VA, we don't jump into these therapies like DBT that can be super helpful. We usually start with kind of more touching base, like, just, sure. hey, how's it going? Um, we're here for you when you're ready. Uh, folks have to do it in their own time. Um, a lot of veterans will benefit from those groups where it's it's kind of a check-in group. You know, there's not much asked yet. Um, and then you know, a, a subsequent step is start to give people tools, coping skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do with these symptoms that, am I ha- that I'm having? What do, how do I manage that? And then once somebody starts to have those toolkits uh, and those tools in their toolkit, uh, then they can start to feel a little bit more confident and, and courageous to face maybe things like trauma, uh, PTSD, and what have you. Well, then, uh, and also for the folks who uh, maybe don't have that luxury of time, the resources are right there. I mean, you can walk into any VA, ER. You can walk into any VA, but, I mean, I guess I want to toot the horn. VA is really working hard on getting people tablets. We're offering all outpatient care um, uh, via video now. So, and if you don't have a video tablet, we'll send you one. Yeah, Um, there's no excuse not to touch base. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, uh, help is there. And, yeah, if if we can get veterans to that sort of crucial moment to to take that risk, mm-hmm. we're ready. We have lots of levels of care, lots of great treatments, lots of wonderful wonderful providers. Yes. And it may be hard work, yeah, but in the end, it is oh so worth it. <laughs> you're you're in such a different <laughs> spot than you were years ago, aren't you, Kimberly? You yeah. seem really at peace and happy. You know what? If somebody would have told me that my life's dreams could actually come true. I wouldn't have believed it. I would have felt like, no, I'm going to be sloshing through this mud forever. And one of the things that was also helpful was building a trusting relationship with my providers. Mm -hmm. And they did that. They proved themselves and they allowed me to be in a place where I felt like I could let my guard down and actually do the work of the evidence-based treatments and that was really helpful to learn that hey Kimberly I know you don't really want to do this because it's going to be hard but what we can show you is the evidence and the data of how it helps people what are our numbers what does this look like and I'm like okay so statistically this should bring me some relief. And even though it was hard work, Mm -hmm. and even though I didn't think it would bring me as much relief as it had, has, it has brought me more relief than I ever could have imagined. I don't have to live in survival mode. I don't 
very often have nightmares. I don't have, um, I think that I have normal anxieties that come with, with different things, but I don't have the same level of sorrow that I'm dealing with. So what are you doing now and what is moving forward? What does the next year or two look like for you? Yeah, so I um, have two children and so I do a lot of running them to, to various activities or cheering at football games. Yes, or I get that. Belaying my kid <laughs> on the rock wall. <laughs> and then um, I also work as an apprentice to a midwife who uh, helps, well, we help people have their babies at home and so I get to um, experience the magic and the wonder and to hold kind of this sacred space as families do their work to bring their children into the world and I hope to be able to um, use the folk rehab program in the future and finish education so that I can also become a midwife because right now I just am a supportive person at their birth and I, I assist my boss and it's just really really joyful. Kimberly <laughs> thanks for being so vulnerable and and sharing your story with us and and with veterans who need to hear it. If you've if you've touched or saved one veteran during this podcast it's it's all worth it. Uh, so I appreciate you putting yourself out there. Michael any parting thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, I would say uh, uh, really be on the lookout for yourself and other people that might be struggling uh, and uh, do your best to be courageous to, to check in with people, uh, whether it's yourself or somebody else. We, we have help available. Um, check out the website. There's a Be There website. It's got guidance on how to be there for yourself and other veterans. We've got the Veterans Crisis Line, 1-800-273-8255. Help is here. Do that uh, Veterans Crisis Line number one more time. Sure. Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1 for military and veterans. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate both of you so much. And thanks for joining us today for Upholding Valor. Stay safe, take care of each other, and be kind. This is Jill Atwood. I'm a VA employee, Army veteran, and veteran of Desert Storm, and this is very personal to me. There is no greater mission than to serve and fight for those who fought for us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe or rate us, or better yet, tell a vet and tell a friend to tune in. By texting veterans to 57500 or go to ksl360.com slash veterans. VA is honored to serve you. Talk to you next time.